Luke chapter 5, chair number 3, in our conversation of four-chair discipling. And um, in, in chair 3, we're going to call this, <clears throat> excuse me, the learner or the worker. Okay, these are, these are uh, phrases that we're going to use synonymously. But before we get to them, quickly just want to review. Chair 1, spiritually dead. Just in case you forgot, it's still there. I left it. Chair 2, spiritually alive. You might recall last week we had a high chair there. Right? And we were talking about the reality of chair two is it's a, it's a launching point. It's a training ground um, for those who have come to faith in Christ to be matured as they continue to pre- progress along. Remember, the goal is not simply to get people from chair one spiritually dead. Again, it's biblical Ephesians chapter two, from chair one to chair two spiritually alive. It is my opinion and conviction and belief that for far too long, that's how the goal for the church has been viewed. Right? And I don't mean our church, I mean the church. Okay? Has been, we need to get people from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. But as we've saw, and I hope we're beginning to see together as we work through God's word, is that the goal actually isn't just to get to chair two, it's to get to chair four. Because the goal for all believers, for all of church history, and for however long it is before the Lord would return, is to be making disciples. Okay, so we're not just trying to get to chair two, we're trying to move along. And last week in chair two, we likened chair two to that of an infant or a baby, right? And we were in, a, and we were in Hebrews chapter five, and the writer of Hebrews was talking about uh, milk for nourishment and, and meat and some different things. And so it was a very clear, vivid picture of a believer when they're born, that is when they're made spiritually alive, they're an infant, They're a baby, and they have to begin learning and growing just like a physical baby. And just like a physical baby, a spiritual baby needs nourishment. None of us expects a physical baby to take care of itself. None of us have that expectation. But as we said last week, it seems that that tends to be the expectation in the church. And so what we tried to look at last week together was that it's not a bad thing to be a spiritual infant. It's not a bad thing to be in chair two. But for those who are beyond chair two, we want to try to pour into those who are in chair two to bring them along with us into chair three and then ultimately into chair four. Okay? So we said last week, for those who are in chair two, in order to minister to them, they need to be taught how to walk, how to talk, how to eat. Again, just like, this is biblical language, and this is just like a physical child, right? They need to learn to nurture themselves before they can be launched out and nurture others. And that's the transition that we see. Because way back when we started this, we talked about the invitation in chair one was just come and see. The invitation in chair two was follow me. And the invitation in chair three was follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So now there's an intention and a purpose for which we're following Jesus. And that's why we said last week chair two is a a launching ground. And before we can launch folks into the world of making disciples, they need to be nurtured and they need to be raised up. And so for the individual who is maturing, we see this is chair three, Spiritually maturing. The person who is spiritually maturing is launched out into the world for the purpose of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Primarily, prim, excuse me, primarily for the function of being fishers of men or of people. <clears throat> excuse me. Infants who mature physically become functioning young people, hopefully, 
who become functioning adults, hopefully. And what's interesting about this chair is that if last week we likened chair two to a baby, then I would liken chair three to that of a teenager, okay? And if you don't know what I mean by that, maybe it's been a little while since you've had teens. Maybe you don't yet have teens. Maybe it's been a little while since you were a teen. One of the markers of the spiritually maturing person, when we think about it in terms of we've, we've progressed from an infant and needing to be nurtured to now to the place where we can do some of the nurturing ourselves and we begin growing and now we're trying to, to reach that into other people's is just like a teenager, okay? Uh, Clay, we just talked about your, your graduation party this weekend, so I want to use you as an example. Is that okay? I didn't ask ahead of time. And now that everybody's staring at you, can I use you as an example? Okay, thanks, Clay. Um, oh, and just so you know, I wouldn't do that to just anybody. If you're like visiting, don't be like, I can't ever come back here. He's going to use me as an example. No, I wouldn't do that. It's just Clay and his dad. Um, Clay is 18 years old. Clay, I love you, young man. He thinks he's got the world by the tail and has everything figured out. You should have heard our conversation at dinner last night. <laughs> now, here's my whole point. What I love about Clay is sometimes Clay and I'll be talking and I'll go home and I'll be like, honey, man, I think Clay's like really getting it. Like, he's really understanding, like, the things he's saying. I'm like, okay, you know, man, this, he's, he's really starting to figure out life as he's growing into adulthood. And then the next time I'm with Clay, he'll be talking. I'm saying, is this kid serious about life right now? <laughs> like, that's a teenager, right? We're not mad at him for that. That We're thankful for him. That's who he is, right? And that's, that's what teenagers do. And lots of times for the maturing believer who finds themselves in chair three, and we liken that to a teenager, it's kind of like that. All of a sudden, we start like really navigating and processing and taking in all of these spiritual truths, and they're making sense to us, and we're motivated by them, and we're going. And then sometimes it's like we just hit a wall, and we're cashed, and we're done, and that's it. And now we're taking steps back, and it's kind of a to and fro and a back and forth is that that physical teenager grows into adulthood and immaturity. So it is with the spiritual teenager who is spiritually maturing. These teenagers can do many things to sustain, to sustain themselves. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, for a teenager to try to take care of all of life's responsibilities is a difficult task, okay? And so we see this correlation, right, um, with the spiritual teenager, the, the one who is spiritually maturing, if they try to take it all in and try to take it all upon themselves and just fully embody everything God's word says, it's overwhelming. It's too much, okay? And so that's why we take those who are in chair two and begin working with them and bringing them along and, and doses of a time. And like I said, they, they learn to begin to feed themselves and they learn to, to walk and they learn to talk and suddenly now they're starting to, to process life. I want you to understand something. For the physical teenager who is not brought up properly, most often life kicks the snot out of them. And I cannot overstate this reality is true in the church too. If people who come to faith in Jesus Christ are not being grounded and they are not being exhorted and they are not being built up and they are not being equipped to go out and and function as an adult they're going to get beat down and they're going to be discouraged and they're going to be distraught and they're going to say, you know what? It was way easier to just stay in chair two and somebody else take care of me and nurture me and meet my needs. 
But we have to understand something this morning. If we get to the place where the church is primarily made up of people who just are being nurtured to, who's doing the nurturing? And if the nurturing's not taking place and, and spiritual children are not maturing and growing, then I would submit to you, in an earthly sense, the church is in trouble. Now, ultimately, we know the church is not in trouble because Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the, the impact and the function of the church on this globe, in this world, can greatly be affected if, if we're primarily people who want and need to be nurtured to instead of growing to be people who are doing the nurturing, right? And so we see, again, just like with the baby, the teen, we see a lot of similarities. And so what I want us to see together this morning is that Jesus in his ministry has moved to this phase now where he's been interacting with this, these men. We've said this for about 18 months now. So when we look here in just a minute at Luke 5 and Jesus says to them, come and I will make you fishers of men, they've been exposed to Jesus. They've been interacting with Jesus. And now Jesus is saying the interaction that we've had is not just about interacting together. It's not just about being together. It's not just about the camaraderie that we share. Ultimately, our interaction is early stages of nurturing and preparation for advanced preparation, whereby now you go and make disciples. So I says, if you come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. These disciples are now mature enough to move into the let's catch some fish stage of ministry. Now remember, this does not mean that they are fully matured in Christ, okay? But they're maturing. They haven't arrived. They don't have it all figured out, but they are maturing. They are progressing in Christ. And one of the markers that we look for or that we should look for for the person who has begun to move from chair two and into chair three, just like a baby, they go from being me-oriented to others-oriented, so I've been nurtured, I've been being built up, I'm maturing, now I want to do the same thing. So there's a mindset, there's a philosophical shift. And this shift, this other's intention is the crux of fishing for people. I don't have a pond in my backyard. If I did, I would fish in it. I like fishing, okay? But if I told my wife... Honey, if we had a pond at this hypothetical house with a hypothetical pond and hypothetical fish and said hypothetical pond, I said to my wife, honey, I'm going to go catch some fish for dinner. She said, okay, sounds great. And she comes outside a couple hours later and I'm just sitting on the dock in a lawn chair. She says, where's your pole? I don't have one. Where's your tackle box? I don't have one of those either. Do you have like a cage or a net in the water? No, I don't have those either, but I'm out here catching fish. We're going to feast tonight. She would think I was insane. Literally, right? And you guys, those of you who fish are kind of laughing. Like you understand you have to have equipment. You have to have tools. You have to be prepared. And so the focus has to go to whatever it is that we're trying to do or trying to accomplish. If I want to catch fish, I need a fishing pole. I need lures or live bait. I probably need a live well or a bucket or something to keep them in after I catch them so that we can later on eat them. 
But there's a, a perspective that has to change. I can't be worried about my comfort sitting on the dock in my rocking lawn chair. If you guys have seen it, it's real nice. It's got shocks on it, and I blew those suckers out, though it rolls back too far. But you get the point, right? I can sit in my lawn chair, and I can be comfortable and never have the fish. Or I can think about the fish and what it would take to acquire them and get them, catch them, apprehend them, and then I could catch fish. So the focus as we move from chair two to chair three is that the perspective is not us, it's others. It's not ourselves, it's other people. And so we learn a few things about these disciples that Jesus calls here in Luke chapter 5. We learn a few things as he calls them to follow him for fishing purposes. The intention is very clear. Now I want you to notice that in Luke chapter 5, as Jesus begins to interact with these guys, again at this stage where he invites them to be fishers of men, they're still functioning in their normal life. They're still in chair two. They've been learning. They've been acquiring some knowledge as they interact with Jesus. They've believed in him. They've been following him, learning, growing. And now Jesus is going to call them beyond their everyday function of, of just doing you know, what they do for life. And it's, right, what were they? They were fishermen. The nuance is clear when he says, I will make you fishers of men. These men are still operating in their regular lives and responsibilities. Again, they've been with Jesus. They've heard him teach. They've saw miracles. They're familiar with who he was and what he was doing. And now he's calling them to be workers with him, not just learners from him. I left learner in chair three for really for two reasons, if I can be honest. Number one, because Pastor Aaron is very gracious, and he put together all the technology stuff before he went on vacation, and I was unsettled with what I wanted to use, and um, I was definitely afraid of destroying that if I tried to change it, so I just left it. Um, and, and, but, but there's a reality here where it's a, it's, it's a learner. You're always a learner. Whether you're in chair two, chair three, chair four, you're always a learner. But the emphasis when we get to chair three is that the, the learning very clearly is for the purpose of working. And that's what Jesus is calling these men to. I'm not asking you to just learn from me and go with me. I'm asking you to work along, <clears throat> excuse me, side me. And so they begin functioning twofold. They've been a part of what Jesus was doing in and around the synagogues, and now Jesus is preparing them to go out. And this is the whole thing. When we think about chair three, when we think about the spiritually maturing and the worker, workers are engaged both in the body and out of the body. And if you just think about the context of, I will make you fishers of men. Again, I cannot sit in my living room at the house where I do not have a pond and expect to catch fish. I must go to the place where fish, I at least believe, are present. It is the exact same thing in the church. We cannot expect to reach lost people who need Jesus if we never seek to go minister to them and invite them to come and see and learn from us. That's this shift. I don't neglect the reality of working within the body of Christ, but I'm not so focused on the body of Christ that I'm not worried about anybody else. The worker functions twofold, in the body and out of the body. So let's examine the call of Christ to be fishers of men as found in Luke 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he, and he saw two boats by the lake, 
But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boat so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we see this interaction And it is at this interaction where the disciples transitioned into the next phase of following Jesus. And now in their following Jesus are workers and they are fishing for people. And their readiness was determined mostly by their condition or characteristics. And that's what we're going to look at here in just a second. Their readiness wasn't about reaching a goal. Their readiness wasn't about a plateau It was actually more about who they were. And so I want to look at the condition. Again, I told you a couple weeks ago, it's going to be the exact same this week. And then again, when we look at chair four, what's the condition of those in chair three? Or what are the characteristics of those who are in chair three? I want you to see, first of all, from verses one through three, the disciples were available. If we're going to be workers for Christ, we must be available to Christ. It's a very simple thing, but one that we must not overlook as we seek to minister as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can see the reality is when Jesus asked Peter here in these first three verses to put his boat out, what did Peter do? He put it out. He was there. Jesus was teaching. Crowds are pressing in. He gets in the boat. It goes out. After Jesus finished teaching, he tells Peter to put down his net. He was ready Peter was ready to respond to the request of Christ. Put out the boat. A few minutes later, put out the nets. And so he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. But it doesn't stop. Like, when we think about availability, it's not limited to physical. Sometimes I think that's the perspective that we take, is that our availability to Jesus is physical availability. availability. So as long as we're there physically or we're present, then we're available to Jesus, okay? But these men weren't just available, they were faithful. So again, this is faithful where we see in verse 4, where we see Jesus tell Peter, put your nets down, okay? And Peter says, we toiled all night, took nothing, but at your word... I will do what you say, Jesus. So they were, they were faithful. You know, I want you to understand something about faithfulness. Faithfulness often doesn't make sense. It is not hard to be faithful when we understand. It is not hard to be faithful when what we believe needs to happen next makes sense to us. When it's in line with our thinking, when it's in line with our, our, our desires or our processes, But faithfulness is doing what the Lord calls you to do, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, obviously, I'm not, this isn't a no-holds-barred perspective. It's simple here. 
Peter says, we, we fished all night, Jesus. Like, we're the professional fishers, Jesus. And all night long, we sought to catch these fish. And you see, our nets are empty. We caught nothing. And not only that, now that the sun's coming up and day is setting in, like, the fish are gone. We're not going to catch them here. They're out. They're gone. They're in the deep. Literally, in the boat, apart from the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, practically, we had a Jewish carpenter telling Peter how to catch fish. Does this make sense? Not really. It really doesn't. But yet, what did Peter do? Exactly what God told him to. Because faithfulness looks like sometimes doing what doesn't make sense. Faithfulness, again, I, I want to be careful. Sometimes when you say things like that, it seems all fanciful and like, oh, let's try to go to every extreme and do all these things that don't make sense. I'm not lobbying for any of that. I'm simply saying sometimes faithfulness means being willing to look into God's word and say, this wasn't what I thought or this wasn't how I would have chosen to function, but this is what God's word says, so I'm going to do it. That's what I'm talking about, faithful. May not have been how I would have done it, but it's what God's word says, so I'm going to do it. And what was the result when Peter did what the Lord commanded? There were so many fish, they couldn't get them in the boat. They had to call in help to get these fish. So when we're available and we're faithful, part of being faithful is being teachable. We see this in part of verse 5 and verse 6. Simon answered, Master, we told all night. This is what we're talking about, right? But it's your word, I'm going to let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And a lot of ways, teachable looks like faithful. Because when you're teachable, it means that you're willing to engage in something that's different than what you thought or you believed, right? Like, um, you guys know I'm not super handy. I've come a long ways. But if I had somebody who was handy come to my house to help me do something and they knew what they were doing and I didn't know what I was doing, that's not difficult to imagine, and they said, well, this is how we'll do this, and I say, no, no, I would do it this way. That's insane, right? Why, why do I have, maybe I'm paying for somebody to help me, maybe somebody out of the goodness of their heart has come to help me, but they show up knowing what's going on, I'm saying, no, this is how we're going to do it. Now, here's ideally what would happen. The person would say, especially if it's not a hired hand, let's say it's a you know, brother or sister in Christ helping us out, and they say, well, okay, I could see why maybe you would do that, but let me explain it to you this way. Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to be teachable and understand, hey, uh, this, this carpenter, I shouldn't use carpenter because that's what Jesus was, but again, that's where I really am inadequate. It's like building stuff. But if somebody comes to help me, and I have an idea or I have an understanding, and they say, well, let's look at it this way, Am I willing to be teachable that they could help train my thinking and so that I could see what it is that they're, you know, uh, trying to help me know and understand for the purpose of getting the task accomplished? You see, the disciples, they were learning a valuable task on this particular morning. The carpenter who summoned them to follow him was going to teach them that he was the Lord of the harvest. And that more important than fishing for fish is fishing for people for the glory of God. And these disciples, we learn, they were excited about learning. 
They were teachable because they were excited to know what was next. They're enthusiastic about these new lessons that they were learning. And because that's so, they were responsive to the leadership of Jesus. Can you imagine how receptive the disciples would be to what Jesus was trying to teach them as they were maturing from chair two to chair three if they were never around Jesus to learn from him? If they weren't taking in, if they weren't like, again, we talked before Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. These men walked with him. They heard him teach. They saw his miracles. They knew who he was. They knew what he was about. And so there, there's this enthusiasm that existed around being with Jesus, functioning as Jesus would desire for the disciples to function and being taught by him. They were eager and they were zealous. And the one who was doing all of these great things was now inviting them to, to in, in their case, not in ours in the same way, to go out and replicate it. And this is an exhortation that has existed for the church since then. Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, we know it verbatim, right? Go, or as you're going, make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were eager to figure out what that looked like. They were eager to follow and to walk with Jesus. Because here's the reality that I don't think we can fully understand today. If the gospel of Jesus Christ had fizzled out with the disciples following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we would not be here. The reality of the church today, again, according to God's sovereignty and his plan of building his church and the gates of hell not prevailing against it, is a reality that if these men don't learn from Jesus and figure out what's going on, like Christianity is at stake. This is, this is high, right? Like this is a big, big deal. So they were eager and they, 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 we know they didn't do everything right. We know that after this point, one of the men would betray Jesus and he would hang himself. We know that after this point, the very man who's in the boat learning from Jesus, pushing out and lowering his nets would be the one who'd say, I don't even know that man. You see, that's the marker of a teenager. That Peter could say profound things to Jesus himself like, where would we go? When the crowds were leaving Jesus and he says to the disciples, you leaving too? Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus says to Peter, or yeah, Jesus says to Peter, I will build. This one he tells him, I'm going to build my church on the profession that I am the Son of God. Like this was Peter's interaction with Jesus. And days later, he was like, I don't even know that guy. Like if you have a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is a reality, right? And so even though these disciples weren't perfect, they were eager to be with and to learn from Jesus. They didn't know everything, but they availed themselves to him. And they were eager and they were teachable. And just because someone has moved to chair three does not mean that they do not have needs. And I think sometimes that's a common misperception as well. Well, as people start maturing spiritually and they start moving along here and they start being, you know, really being workers 
You notice this is a chair that's not a high chair, but it's designed to be a little more comfortable. But I'm going to tell you something about this chair. Um, if you've ever come, this is, there's two of these in my office. If you've ever come in my office and sat in this chair, when you look at it, you're like, oh, that looks pretty comfy. And when you sit in it, you're like, oh, that's pretty comfy. And then after just a minute, you're like, this chair stinks. I don't want to sit in this chair any longer. I want you to understand something. There's people who are laughing because they've been sitting in these chairs before. You know what the tendency is when you recognize that this chair is uncomfortable? Chair three, that is, to go back to chair two. To say, you know what? It's easier to just have somebody nurture me than it is to try to nurture others. Because it's painful. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Because it's painful because it's difficult. And, and, and the reality of that is, is because those things that we've touched on here are true, and because there's a tendency to get here and say, this is too much, I'm too hurt, I'm too broken, and whatever it is, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, I'm just going to go back here. We have to understand that even the folks who are here have needs, just like we've seen for all of the chairs. So what are the needs of those who are in chair three? I want you to understand something right out the gate about the needs of those who are in chair three. God will use his people to help meet the needs of those who are in chair three, but the primary help, the primary sustenance for ministering when you're in chair three and your time of need and your help is found in who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. And my tendency to want to revert to what is easy always happens when I take my eyes off of Jesus, just like Peter. He got out of the boat, he walked down the water, and we all know the story, right? As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He started to sink. And when the worker takes his eyes off of Jesus, and again, I want to be careful, right? Because when we use words like worker, it's easy to make that sound like I'm talking about me. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the pastor, or myself, or even, you know, myself and Pastor Aaron. But again, what we have to recognize, what we have to remember is that this is for all believers. So just make sure we understand when we talk about worker, though a lot of what we talk about, yes, is applicable to me. Why? Because I will flat out tell you, and we'll get to some of this in the the coming weeks, but I believe I'm in chair three. And so when I was studying this week and I was working through this, I was like, wow, this is really true. This is really applicable and practical. And when I look at anything other than Jesus to find what I need to be sustained, to continue to be a worker, and to, by God's grace, progress into chair four and be reproducing spiritually, when I take my eyes off Christ, guess what I want to do? The same thing every other worker does when they take their eyes off Christ. Quit. And I don't mean quit the church. I mean quit being a worker. Go into coast mode. Take it easy. Think about how I want to go back to chair two and let somebody else meet my needs. And so we have to understand as we enter into chair three, as this maturation is taking place, one of the things that will shape our ability to press in and press on as a worker in chair three is if we have the right understanding and expectation of what it means to be in chair three. And here's what it means to be in chair three. It means that we know right out of the gate that what we are being called to is a life of servanthood, sacrifice, and suffering. If we know that the gospel calls us to suffer, 
when we suffer, we might be a little less inclined to just go back to chair two because it's easier. So we have to know as we're maturing in Christ and we progress into chair three that we are walking into a life, a commitment of sacrifice, service, and suffering. And the life of a worker is trying, it's hard. And if you've been a worker or if you are a worker, you know but the desire and the ability to carry on as a worker, I would submit to you this morning, is found in the example of Jesus. Again, if we're a worker, we're called to serve, sacrifice, and suffer. And why do we find what we need from Jesus? Because that's exactly what he did. The Gospel of Mark tells us what about Jesus? Chapter 10, verse 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We know that Jesus, not only did he sacrifice, he was sacrificed. Ephesians chapter 5, the Paul, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He suffered. He suffered the glory of his father and for the sake of sinful man Matthew 16 21 from that time Jesus began to show his disciples so he's teaching them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised you see there was no denying and there was no doubt that Jesus knew what it meant to be a worker It was a life of sacrifice, service, and suffering. And so if workers today are going to be sustained through chair three, then they must know and believe and understand and be growing in their understanding that God is at work in them and through them. Because it's only through his working that we're sustained. As workers sacrifice, serve, and in many cases suffer, one of the things that we have to realize is that in a lot of these areas, those are the places where God is using us and working through our lives. What if God is using our suffering? What if God is using our sacrifices? What if God is using our service for his glory? See, oftentimes when we navigate difficulty in life, not just in suffering, but in any sense, we navigate difficulty in life, the question is not, or the question is, why God, or how could you, God, instead of, what's this for, God? What's the purpose of this season or this situation, God? So we have to understand that God is at work in the worker. I say this a bit, I say it's going to sound like a joke, but it's really not a joke because I understand the plight of the people who are doing this. But sometimes it's as simple as knowing that as we suffer in the nursery, that it's helpful to the body of Christ when the parents of the child that we're suffering with get to be ministered to. If you work in the nursery, have you ever taken that perspective to serving in the nursery? If you help with the kids, 
Children's Church, for example. You, I mean, you guys were all in here when all like 748 of them left. I'm going to let you know something. When you go downstairs in our church, the place where all of these kids are divided by age and are trying to be ministered to right now by a number of adults who are down there serving them and serving you while they're serving them is not even as big as the room we're sitting in here. Now, I'm not saying that because we shouldn't be ministering to kids. I'm not saying any of those things at all. But, you know, sometimes we think everything is glamorous. I would tell you right now, it's a sacrifice to serve in children's church. In a lot of ways, it's a sacrifice to serve in the nursery. And whether or not we're willing, as we move in maturation, to serve is predicated upon how we're looking at what is God doing through what I'm doing. If the nursery is just when I go sit for an hour with the babies because that's what we do in church, you, can, can you, let me tell you, you should be excited about serving in the nursery. If you serve in the nursery, you help a kid's church, be excited. Because not only are you ministering, both directly and indirectly, but God is using that. And if our perspective is, I'm ministering to these, to these kids, and I, and I say the nursery because sometimes it's crazy because there can be a lot of kids, but you don't teach. It's not the same way like with children's church. So sometimes we view the nursery as just like, ah, whatever. Like, it's the nursery, so what? But it's not. It's the nursery where God uses those who serve and sacrifice in the nursery. And because we all know how kids are, sometimes suffer in the nursery that parents are being ministered to. So how we view things as we're maturing makes a huge difference. And if we understand that God is actually ministering to a parent or parents by my service in the nursery, that's going to feel my desire. That's going to bring me, hey, that's great, man. God is at work through me. Now, is serving in the nursery a giant thing? No. But is it an important thing? Yes. Can God use it for his glory and the benefit of his body? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we are, are we available to that? And again, I don't just mean physically. Are we willing to go sit in the nursery? But we are, are we available and are we teachable to this reality? God's working in our lives in little ways like the nursery. Workers also need to learn new skills. So you don't get all the skills that you need to be a worker in chair two and then you move on. Remember, moving the transition from chair two to chair three was more like a, a characteristics of who, who people are and how they're functioning. So there still need to be learning skills, primarily the skill of running with endurance because being a worker is hard. Being a worker is difficult. And at times, it's going to be the last thing that you want to do. And if you've ever been a runner, you understand what it means to run with endurance. If the race that you are participating in is a 400-meter race, and for the first 100 meters, you run super fast, so fast, in fact, that the last 100 meters, you have to walk, you're not running with endurance. You have not trained, you have not been trained or trained yourself to endure throughout the duration of the race. I don't know if you know this or not, but all throughout the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, he uses athletic terms to define the Christian life. And he talks about running with endurance because it's a long journey and it's a difficult journey. 
Those in chair three need to continue to learn to feed themselves. Workers are taking in the word of God and they're motivated and they're strengthened by it and they're growing in their ability to discern truth from error. That was part of what we saw last week in Hebrews 5. The writer of Hebrews said, you can't discern what's right and what's not because you're not growing from the word of God. And so we've got to understand that these workers, they're learning, they're always continuing to learn to feed themselves so that they can be engaged and involved in the affairs that are going on around them. Because again, remember, workers, it's not just in the church. You know what else workers need? And this oftentimes comes peer-to-peer. Encouragement. While the strength to continue on in service, sacrifice, and suffering ultimately comes from Christ, the people of God will never be able to overstate the importance of a little encouragement to those who are in chair three. Uh, I will tell you, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I kind of have a routine on Sunday mornings. I show up here fairly early. I kind of start going through everything. I make sure everything's ironed out. I might go over my sermon again and just kind of make sure I know what needs to be done in the morning. And I know when I need to be able to, to get here to have those things done because then at 8 o'clock, the men on the leadership team come in and we meet downstairs for an hour. And then we have discipleship class at 9. And then we have church at 10. And last Sunday, I showed up here fairly early in the morning like I normally would. And when I pulled in, there were some cars in the parking lot. And I thought that was kind of weird. So I came in and I put my stuff in my office like I always do. You know, a lot of the same things. And then I went downstairs to start making coffee. And when I went downstairs, there was tables set up and they had tablecloths on them and there was people in the kitchen I could smell bacon and I was like what the heck's going on they're like well you know first of all they were mad I was here that early but then they said then they said to me they said you know we just want the leadership team to know that we appreciate them and we just want to be an encouragement to you today so we're making breakfast can you instead of meeting at eight o'clock can you have breakfast uh yeah (laughs) like there's bacon yes um but that was an encouragement And that came from the body of Christ. People who completely took it upon themselves just to try to be an encouragement and be a blessing. Recognizing that the road is long in ministry as a worker. Not because, again, that's the thing. Our leadership team isn't made up of people who are paid. In fact, the majority of our ministry team is volunteer. They're lay leaders. So it was a huge blessing that these folks thought of the leadership team. And literally, they have flowers on the table for our wives. I mean, they didn't even just think of us. They thought of our wives and the sacrifices that they make as we co-labor in ministry. And it was an encouragement. Those things can never, ever, ever be overstated. And lastly, as far as needs go, workers need to focus beyond the finish line. We live our lives always just saying, I just got to get to this goal, and I just got to get to this goal But we must understand that ultimately sacrifice, service, and suffering are not about this life. They are about the next one. All of the service, all of the sacrifices, and all of the suffering are for the life that is yet to come. They're for the next one. And just like the goal is not simply to get out of chair one, the goal of this life is not just to get to the finish line. The goal is to be with Jesus And to be like Jesus. And that happens after the finish line. And sometimes the need of the worker is to be reminded that though this road may be long, that it may be lonely, that it may be difficult, that it may be any other thing that a worker has experienced throughout all of church history, it's only for a season. And one day, 
And one day, because again, the worker, right? So they've been made alive. They're in Christ. One day, the worker will stand face to face with Jesus. And so we look to him now because he's not calling us as workers and making disciples to anything he didn't already do. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says we look to Jesus because he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. That means he is the perfecter. And our faith is perfect when we stand before him in his presence for all of eternity. And sometimes our need is to be reminded that the goal is not the finish line. The goal is the prize after the line. And the prize is Jesus. So how do we minister? What's the ministry to those who are in chair three? We've really touched on a lot of this already when we talk about um, that encouragement peer-to-peer, okay? Uh, Workers must remember that being a worker is not easy, but in our work, we're becoming more like Jesus. And one of the things that I think sometimes we lose sight of is the reality that one of the primary ways Scripture is calling us to be more like Jesus is in his death. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to die physically for Jesus, but we're being conformed to Jesus in his servanthood and his sacrifice and in his suffering and his death. And what did that look like? He was willing. He was dying intentionally. He was dying graciously and lovingly. It means knowing that Christ faced the difficulty with courage. He knew what awaited him and he kept going. It means entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. I think one of the hardest realities for the worker is learning that ministry is hard and that it doesn't always go the way that you want it to go and things aren't always the way that you think they will be or that they should be. And I've, I've long said in my eight years here, many of you have heard me say, like one of the hardest realities of ministry is that people will always let you down. And that includes me to y'all. People always, they will always let us down. We'll always feel a need to be vindicated. But the word of God says that as we're ministering and we're making disciples and we're being obedient to the call of the word of God, part of that is entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. I'm looking at him, I'm pressing ahead, I'm being obedient to what I know the word of God calls and I'm trusting him to take care of the rest. So workers, they need to persevere. Like I said, many of them don't make it through chair three to four. Instead, they revert back to chair two. And so we have to understand that it takes time to mature to parenthood. Habits of hard work and discipline must be developed. But I think another principle as we think about ministering to those in chair three, and if this, again, if you're here this morning and you're in chair three, or you would think maybe you're in chair three, I want to encourage you with this. Relax and enjoy the journey. Recognizing that God is sovereign over our lives and the lives around us makes enjoying the journey possible. Even in the heartache, even in the chaos, even in the brokenness and the destruction that is the world that we live in. We can be encouraged And we can find joy in the fact that God is sovereign, making enjoyment 
and joy, the experience of joy on this journey possible. I want to finish with three challenges. We've done this every week. Challenge number one is to those of you who are in chair one. That is spiritually dead. Your challenge is to be made alive and trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. Repent of your sin and trust Christ. That's the challenge to those of you who are in chair one. Because before any of the stuff that we've talked about today can become practical in your life, you must first be made alive. Because the word of God is very clear that we are not born in good standing with God. And that because we're spiritually dead, there's nothing that we can do to change that. We are dead until we are made alive by Jesus Christ. And that life comes only through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Challenge number two is to those who are in chair two. Are you maturing and learning the skills necessary to navigate the Christian life? Are you moving from needing to be nurtured and ministered to to being the one who is doing the nurturing and the ministering? Again, that's kind of a blanket statement. Uh, I've long said that I think most of us are probably in chair one or chair two. And so this is a statement we hear, okay, if we're in chair two, are we learning, are we maturing? Um, Again, just remember, it's different for everybody. It's not a timeline, there's not a set guide. The goal is progress. Are we maturing? Are we seeing the importance of ministering to others instead of just ministering, instead of just being ministered to? Those of you in chair two, are you developing spiritual disciplines that will enable you to run the race with endurance? Challenge three is to those who are in chair three. Are you looking to Christ for your strength and endurance? Because he is the example that we have been given to follow. And if we're going to live a life of sacrifice, service, and suffering, then we must look to the one who did it perfectly. Also, are you seeking to strive alongside others for the sake of the gospel? Stay the course. If you're in chair three, my encouragement to you is to stay the course. May you continue to fight the good fight, as the Apostle Paul said. And so I want to finish with a quote this morning by Dan Spader. He's the author of the book, Four Chair Discipling. He says there, referring to the disciples of Jesus, and I've alluded to this, but he says, their success at learning to become fishers of men would determine the future of the Christian movement. You see, this quote by Spader is very true of the disciples who walked with Jesus physically, but it is also true of the followers of Jesus Christ today. If we are not learning to become fishers of men and make disciples, then the Christian movement in our world is going to diminish. Those who are in Christ must be seeking to mature and raise up others to maturity. Are you maturing in Christ-likeness? That is the call for the believer, to grow and ultimately to reproduce spiritual disciples.